Hey everyone, welcome to Millennial Learns. My name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. This is our Thursday episode, which means we are going over a state, all the state history, state symbols, all that sort of thing. If you're new, we're going in the order that they are joining the union or that they did join the union. And so we are on the 12th state, which is North Carolina. I've never been to North Carolina, but it looks absolutely beautiful and I've always wanted to go the beaches seem really nice, just the people seem nice. So I really would like to go here. If you've been, DM me on Instagram and tell me your favorite spots to go frequent because I feel like we might be due for a girls trip and we always like East Coast, you know, beaches. So let me know where you like to frequent and I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so before we get into the actual history, I want to kind of ground ourselves with some of the just basic facts and geography, climate, all of the kind of just the, the straight cut and dry facts of North Carolina. So the capital of North Carolina is Raleigh, North Carolina. It became a state on November 21st, 1789. As I mentioned, it's the 12th state to enter the U.S. We talked a little bit about why Carolina as a full territory was named Carolina in the South Carolina episode, but just as a review, or if you know you didn't listen to the South Carolina episode, Carolina is the derived Latin word for Charles. So it was named after King Charles I by his son, King Charles II, as a way to honor his father. The state motto is in Latin, and I will not try to pronounce it, but um, it translates to to be rather than to seem, which essentially just means like walking the walk as opposed to just talking the talk, you know, that's a big um, kind of culture, it seems, in North Carolina. Now, the nickname is the Tar Heel State, and it actually started as more of like a derogatory term for people who worked in a lowly trade, they say. So the term Tar Heel, it goes way back in North Carolina's history. The state was the leading producer of supplies for the naval industry. And so basically they had to make turpentine to help in the production of that. And um, the way you make turpentine is you distill this very sticky sap of pine trees and burnt pine boughs, and those produce tar the workers who would normally do that would oftentimes go barefoot because it was so hot in the summer months and so they would have tar on their heels and they were called tar heels so if you called someone a rosin heel or a tar heel it implied that they were a lowly worker it says during the civil war north carolina soldiers flipped the meaning of the term and turned an epithet into an accolade. They called themselves Tar Heels as an expression of state pride. Um, so that's kind of Civil War time is when it became widely accepted that North Carolinians were Tar Heels and that North Carolina was the Tar Heel state. The population of North Carolina is about 10.5 million. It is It ranks 21st in population density. So if you're looking at the state map or the map of the United States, North 
Carolina is bordered obviously on the south by South Carolina and then a little part of it touches Georgia and then it's also bordered to the north and east by Virginia and Tennessee. So that's kind of the region where we are. It's like just right above South Carolina, which is right above Georgia. The climate, it's pretty rainy. It gets about 10 inches more rain than average. It gets only four inches of snow a year, which that US average is 28 inches. It gets 213 sunny days on average. It gets very hot in the summer. The summer average high is about 88 and the winter low is about 29. Um, it's least comfortable in January and July, which January is obviously when it gets the coldest and July is when it gets the hottest. And in July, it can get up to 70% humidity. 90 degrees and 70% humidity seems pretty miserable. So you can see like the graph of the comfort index as it gets into July takes a steep drop but the overall comfort index is seven and a half which is higher than the national average of 7.0 and that's because may september and october are super pleasant like it's not too hot not too humid just very mild beautiful weather and so if you're gonna go and you want good weather go may september and october another thing that is a plus is that in october all the leaves start changing um, in, into fall, like September, October time period. And there's a lot of the attractions on the list that really showcase like a lot of trees and the forest and nature. And so it might be a really good time to go in October when you can see all the leaves changing with these really, really good kind of nature landmarks that are um, all over North Carolina. Okay, so now it is time for the history of the state. So there are, let's see. Well, as we've mentioned, there were, I think about 10 or 13 different main groups of um, Native Americans living in the North Carolina area when the European um, explorers started coming over here. So we've talked about them kind of a lot, a lot in depth. Once we get more into like the Western states, I'll start talking about more of the um, other tribes that live there. But for right now, we've kind of covered like all the Eastern ones, at least a little bit. And I'll probably do a podcast about actually each individual tribe or, or like the group of regional tribes. So, um, so we're gonna start with our timeline today at 1524, when Giovanni de Verrazzano explored the Carolina coast for France. I'm pretty sure we mentioned him in the South Carolina one too, because up until about 1712, North and South Carolina were considered the same territory. In 1540, the Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto explored the southwestern part of the state, and his main focus for his whole expedition was finding gold. So he wasn't really in it for just exploring, he really wanted to see if there was gold available in the area. From 1584 to 1585, Sir Walter Raleigh, who, you know, the capital is now named after, sent shiploads of people to establish the first English colony on Roanoke Island. We've talked about this quite a few times in the um, other podcast episodes, but he sent a colony to live on Roanoke, Roanoke Island and 
1586, they're forced to return to England because of all the hardships that they've been facing. In 1587, John White established a second English colony at Roanoke, and the first English child was then christened on American soil like just a couple months later in August of that same year. Her name was Virginia Dare, and this is kind of like a big milestone in, you know, colonialism and the colonists coming over to America. And then just four days after that christening, John White, who established the colony and uh, went back to England to get more supplies. So in 1590, White returns to Roanoke with the supplies, expecting them to be there, you know, and he um, he finds that all the settlers have disappeared. They're, it's the lost colony. And again, we've brought this up with a lot of the kind of um, colonies and states around North Carolina, but the lost colony was uh, had a major impact because it just showed how hard it could be to settle here. So it says that the lost colony remains one of the state's most enduring mysteries. No one ever knows what happened to them exactly, but whenever he came back with the supplies, they were not there and they had not survived. Now, to be fair, there were three years in between when he left for supplies and when he came back. So I guess I don't know the sailing time between America and England in those days, but I feel like the turnaround must have been quicker than three years. Like it could have been less than three years. So I think he hung out in England for quite a while and they ended up disappearing. Okay, in 1655, so this is like 65 years later, Nathaniel Batts is the first European to permanently settle in North Carolina. And then the first town in North Carolina was named Bath, and that was built in 1705, which is again like 60 or 50 years later. So Nathaniel Batts comes, permanently settles, 1655, and then 50 years later, Bath is built. Okay, 1711 through 1713. We're going to jump a little bit in here because I want to talk more about the North Carolina-South Carolina split than what this original timeline had in its timeline. It didn't even mention the split between North and South Carolina. So I went on another site to kind of supplement that knowledge. Um, but basically, from 1711 to 1713, the Tuscarora War occurred. It was between the Native Americans and the European settlers, and it lasted, like I mentioned, about two years. There were, you know, a number of military expeditions, it said, and finally the war ended in 1713, and that marked the last significant effort by Eastern Indians to stop the wave of white settlers in their land. So from then on, they either left, sold their land, tried to work with the settlers, that kind of thing. So that was in 1713. Okay, but then here is where we talk about the split between North and South Carolina. So the ruling of all these colonies becomes kind of complicated because there's something, there was a royal colony and then there were proprietor, proprietary colonies. So basically since the 1660s, the 
Carolina was a proprietorship. The proprietors had recognized that one governor and one assembly could not manage a colony as big as Carolina. You know, by the 1660s, they kind of realized that. There were, you know, the settlements were way too far apart and the transportation was way too much to manage. So in 1691, the proprietors appointed a governor for all of Carolina and then a deputy governor for the northern half. So it provided a little bit of governance closer to home and you could kind of better manage an area that was a little bit smaller. So it was technically all still one colony for a while. There was just a deputy governor that was just taking over its northern half. But in 1712, North Carolina and South Carolina officially divided. So the English government was unhappy with its proprietary colonies. They wanted, you know, taxes collected and they wanted order maintained, it says. And so um, it says that they didn't basically believe that the proprietors of these colonies were managing their, col their colonies properly. So in 1719, South Carolina became, uh, was taken back from proprietors and was made a royal colony. The reason why it was only South Carolina at that time was because South Carolina had more resources than North Carolina, so it was more valuable to England. So the royal colony was ruled directly by the king, and so South Carolina ended up being ruled by the king in that year, 1719. It says in 1729, seven of the eight lords proprietors agreed to sell their shares of North Carolina to King George II, and in that year of 1729, North Carolina also became a royal colony. But there was one proprietor that held out, his name was John Carteret, he was a descendant of Sir George Carteret, who was one of the original Lord's uh, proprietors. So he continued to own one-eighth of the colony's land, but he had no say in the government, which was kind of interesting. He, uh, this says that Carteret would later inherit the title Earl Granville, and the management of his land, known as the Granville District, would cause problems for colonists later on. So that was all the way up to 1729 with the, you know, North Carolina becoming a royal English colony. Back in 1718, however, see we're jumping around a little bit here because I wanted to follow that train down to 1729 of how they became a, a royal English colony. But in 1718, Blackbeard, who was the pirate, who, again, I think we mentioned him in another podcast, but I didn't even know that he was a real person. But Blackbeard the pirate, who is indeed a real person, was killed off of the North Carolina coast. Okay, fast forward, you know, a few, quite a few decades. From 1767 to 1770, the Tryon Palace is built in New Bern, becoming North Carolina's colonial capital building. So a lot of these, as we've seen, a lot of these capital buildings kind of switch back and forth or switch at least once and so the colonial capital building um, at this point was in North Carolina. In 1774 the women of Edenton led by Penelope Barker take on British rule by putting down their teacups in what becomes known as the Ed Edenton or Edenton Tea Party. So my uncle was reading this very interesting book. He's reading about like the Revolutionary War and they were talking about how there was this kind of campaign to have people not drink tea after the, you know, the tea 
taxes and things like that. Basically in the lead up to the, um, the Boston Tea Party. And they started saying and advertising that British tea led to all these sicknesses and maladies and like you would get measles and polio or I don't know if polio is one, but they just listed a ton of things that you would catch if you drank British tea in an effort to get everyone to stop drinking British tea and protest the taxes. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but 1774 is when um, specifically North Carolina North Carolina and the women of Edenton um, put down their tea. Okay, in 1776, uh, in February, the Whigs defeated the Tories in the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge. It's the first battle of the American Revolution to be fought in North Carolina. And then North Carolina was actually the first state to vote in favor of independence. That happened April 12th, 1776. So they really led the charge in the Declaration of Independence and saying like, that's the final straw, we need to be our own nation. So North Carolina had a huge part in the forming of the United States, which makes me a little bit surprised that it's the 12th state to join the Union. To be fair, it was all in a pretty short timeline, but still I would have assumed that the people who were charging for independence and the first to vote in favor of independence would be one of the first states to be accepted as a state. Um, November 21st, North Carolina becomes the 12th state in 1789. And then December 11th, the University of North Carolina is chartered. In 1794, the capital of North Carolina is moved to Raleigh. It had previously been New Bern, as we mentioned, but uh, they moved it to Raleigh right before um, 1800. The nation's first state university was University of North Carolina that was founded in 1795. And then just a couple years later in 1799, the first gold nugget is found in the United States at Reed Gold Mine in Cabarrus County, North Carolina. So the gold that the explorer was after the entire time ended up being found in, uh, in North Carolina. Okay, so I don't really understand this comment in the timeline because, I don't know, I guess this was the time of like a lot of industrial things starting to happen, but in the early 1800s, North Carolina became known as the Rip Van Winkle State. They say this because it made so little progress that it appears to be asleep. So I guess they kind of were still taking things slow and not making a lot of technological progress, I'm assuming, but they called it the Rip Van Winkle State in the 1800s. Okay, in 1804, there's something called the Walton War, which is a war by, I think a very small, you know, I think it's a stretch that it's a war basically, but the residents of Georgia and North Carolina fought in what they now call the Walton War. In 1828, North, uh, Andrew Jackson became the seventh president of the United States and he is a North Carolinian. In all through the 1830s, the US government forces the Cherokee Indians from their home. This is what's known as the Trail of Tears. And so um, 
a lot of the Cherokee, in order to avoid the Trail of Tears, hide in the mountains of North Carolina. Okay, there's a big fire. A lot of these timelines, there's, you know, fire is a major part of the historical timeline, but in a very ironic twist, there are workmen that were attempting to fireproof the roof of the state capitol building in 1831 and they ended up setting the building on fire so not a great time and very ironic for the state okay and then in 1836 so i need to look more into state like government structures and things because it's so kind of individual to the state but this is that after years of having governors elected by the state senate, Edward B. Dudley becomes the first popularly elected governor of North Carolina. So instead of having the senate elect them, um, they just put it to a popular vote. So that changed in 1836. The new state capitol was completed after that fire nine years later on eight, in 1840. And also that same year, the first public schools opened in North Carolina. That plan for those schools had been drafted, it says in 1817, but it just got around to opening the first public schools about 23 years later. James Polk, who is also a North Carolinian, becomes the 11th president of the US in 1845. And in 1861, on May 20th, North Carolina leaves the Union. It says, instead of voting to secede from the United States as others did, North Carolina voted to undo the act that had brought it into the United States. So kind of a weird nuance. They didn't actually, yeah, they didn't actually vote to secede. They just voted to make the amendment to join just not happen. So kind of interesting. Um, 40,000 North Carolinians were killed over the course of the Civil War which is sad. And then right towards the end of the war, March 19th through 21st of 1865, it was the Battle of Bentonville, which was the bloodiest battle fought in North Carolina and the Confederates are defeated. Many of the Confederates surrender at Bennett Palace outside of Durham, North Carolina. And then, you know, just about a week and a half later, the last troops in North Carolina surrender. In April 15th of the same year, 1865, Andrew Johnson becomes the 17th president of the U.S. and again, he is from North Carolina. Okay, 1866, it says Tuscarora Indian Henry Barry Lowry leads a revolt in Robeson County, becoming a folk hero to many Native Americans. Six years later, he mysteriously disappears. I have it on my list to do a podcast about him because that sounded like a very interesting kind of side story. So North Carolina is readmitted into the Union three years after the end of the Civil War in 1868. So happens to be on the 4th of July that they are readmitted. The... Um, it, it takes a long time for this reconstruction, which I went over in the Civil War history episodes, but I didn't really realize how long it actually took to reconstruct the U.S. So they were readmitted into the Union in 1868, but it took until 1877 for the last federal reoccupation troops to leave North Carolina. In that same year, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture is created, 
which becomes important as a main, you know, industrial, um, like that's a main industry in North Carolina, so they needed a Department of Agriculture. So in 1878, a Cherokee reservation is formed in the western part of North Carolina, and it provided protection for the Native Americans who lived in that area. Again, a lot of those were the Native Americans who hid to get away from the Trail of Tears. The late 1800s into 1900s, North Carolina became a huge hotspot for textile and furniture industries, and they really grew rapidly. In 1897, the first bill to give women suffrage, uh, or to give women the right to vote, is proposed, but it says it's sent to a committee on insane asylums and is never passed. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, so it's proposed. People are thinking that way. We're starting to get a little bit more progressive here, but um, it never gets to the right hands and it's never passed. Now, North Carolina, if you've seen a North Carolina license plate, it is gonna be, a, it's a plane, like most of them are a plane, and that is because the Wright brothers made their first successful flight at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina in 1903. So big aviation, aviation state. Uh, 1917, the United States enters World War I. 1920, the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution passes, which gives women the right to vote nationwide, including in North Carolina. And then 1929, the Great Depression begins, and then the next thing on the timeline is that in 1941, the U.S. enters World War II. Sometimes I think that like what we're living through is pretty tumultuous, but then I just read these timelines where um, women didn't have the right to vote. Well, okay, so I guess if you lived as kind of an adult uh, between, you know, 1917 in 1941, which is only like less than a 30 year period, you had to see two world wars and the Great Depression. But I guess women got the right to vote in that time, so not all is bad, but still. Okay, um, 1943, Pembroke State College for Indians, now called UNC Pembroke, is the nation's first public four year college open for Native Americans. Um, 1954, there was a hurricane called Hurricane Hazel. It was one of the most destructive hurricanes in the state's history. Um, that came through and, and destroyed a lot of property. And I'm assuming lives. It doesn't mention that, but I'm assuming a lot of people died if it was um, that destructive. And then between the 1950s and 60s is like the nationwide civil rights movement. There is the first ever sit-in that occurs in Greensboro, North Carolina. They were protesting segregation at a lunch counter, and within days, sit-ins are occurring across the state. So this is where, you know, the Greensboro sit-ins, like that's the big sit-in that I've read about. That was in 1960, and it happened in North Carolina. Okay, the North Carolina Fund was established in the 1960s as well. It was established by Governor Sanford, and it, the goal of it was to end poverty in North Carolina, um, but it really became a model for programs 
you know, for a lot of states across the nation. There was a Vietnam War in between 1965 and 1973. Another hurricane strikes North Carolina um, in 1989. It reached as far inland as Charlotte, which I had to look up because I'm very much not familiar with the geography of um, North Carolina. But it reached way inland and um, caused major damage to the state. Okay, in 1994, the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina is ranked as the best place to live in the United States. So again, just beautiful weather and, you know, I think they take into account, like, poverty levels and um, do people like their jobs and weather, you know, good neighborhoods, good schools, that kind of thing. But it was rated, it was ranked number one as the best place to live. Uh, there's another hurricane in 1996, Hurricane Fran in 1999, Hurricane Floyd. And then always these timelines have like no good news from the 2000s. And I don't know really why. But in 2003, the police arrested the Olympic bombing suspect, Eric Robert Rudolph in Murphy, North Carolina. The legislature voted implementation of the state lottery in 2005. Um... The North Carolina Hurricanes, their their hockey team, won the Stanley Cup in 2006, which is kind of exciting. Uh, Duke University won the NCAA championships in 2010. And then there was Hurricane Irene uh, in 2011, which is, um, which was also very destructive. So, again, like, I don't know why the 2000s news is always lacking in these. This is like the fourth time that that's happened where there's... It's always just like, these people got arrested for trying to blow something up or shooting or whatever. So I'm sure some good things happened in North Carolina that were not sports related in the 2000s, but they do not add those onto this timeline. So, um, okay, let's go to famous people from North Carolina. Number one on the list was Andy Griffith, which I feel like a lot of my friends have not ever watched the Andy Griffith show. We grew up watching it like those old shows like Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith. But Andy Griffith, the actor, was born in North Carolina. Michael Jordan is from there, Billy Graham, Chris Daughtry, the American Idol singer, Zach Galifianakis, and Scotty McCreary, all from North Carolina. So solid lineup there. And then the state symbols, I actually put a ton on the list because there are some very interesting ones that I wanted to mention. So they have a state art medium, which is clay. They have a group called state berries, which is not, I mean, it's different from the state fruit, but there's state berries. And then they had two state berries, which is strawberry and blueberry. The state beverage is milk. The state bird is the Northern Cardinal. The state carnivorous plant is the Venus flytrap. Now, I'm relatively, well, I'm not going to say I'm certain because I'm really not certain about any sort of plant. But in my mind, there's only one carnivorous plant, and that is the Venus flytrap. So it feels like they just made this category in order to highlight that they have Venus flytraps, and that's the only option. <laughs> but, you know, I could be wrong. They have a state dog, which is the plot hound, P L O T T. They have a state flower, which is the dogwood flower. The state folk dance is is clogging. State freshwater fish is the Southern Appalachian 
brook trout. Now, here's the state fruit. Again, different than state berries. The scuppernong grape is the state fruit. They have a state horse, which is the colonial Spanish Mustang. Makes sense. There was a lot of Spanish influence um, from Florida, you know, and up. I think the we haven't gotten to Florida yet, but I'm very sure that the Spanish like were in Florida, and then that probably had kind of a you know upwards influence. So there's a colonial Spanish Mustang as a state horse. The state mammal is the gray squirrel. The state insect is the honeybee. They have a state marsupial, which is the Virginia opossum. And I don't actually think I've ever, literally ever seen an opossum in in person. I don't think I've ever witnessed one. But that is very um, popular in North Carolina. They have a state sport, which is stock car racing. The state song is the Old North State. The state tree is the pine tree. The state vegetable is the sweet potato, and the state wildflower is the Carolina lily, which is a very unique looking flower that um, you should go take a look at, because, or maybe I'll post a picture on my Instagram, because it's it's actually really pretty, but super unique looking. Okay, and then the last thing we're going to talk about is the attractions to go, and again, a lot of these are kind of highlighting the nature aspect, and really, it seems like a good time to go would be the um fall because there's something called the blue ridge parkway which is nicknamed america's favorite drive it's 469 miles you could drive it on but it has all these landscapes and scenery it has some museums in it and like these demonstrations of how they kind of um grind the corn in a mill there's a bunch of small towns in there and some hikes and it just looks absolutely beautiful if you go onto my instagram and like see the you know, the main North Carolina podcast post, that background part with all the changing leaves colors, that is from Blue Ridge Parkway. There's also the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. So the whole estate is 8,000 acres. And the main centerpiece of that is the Vanderbilt Mansion. It's the largest private home in the U.S. It has 250 rooms, like huge gardens, there's the first forest ever managed in the country is on that estate. So that just seems like a beautiful place to visit. Another place to visit in North Carolina is the Battleship North Carolina. It's located in Wilmington. It's the USS North Carolina, and it's the first of 10 battleships to join the American fleet in World War II. It was commissioned on April 9th, 1941. There's also Cape Hatteras, or I think that's how you say it. The Cape Hatteras National Seashore is the country's first coastal preservation area. So there's pictures online of this and it is it looks absolutely beautiful. There's like a lighthouse and this wild reserve kind of. So again, a lot of nature. And then there's also the Grandfather Mountain, which is again, very good to go in fall because you can see all the colors changing. There is this huge mile high swinging bridge it's called. And so you can get this huge like panoramic view of nature. So absolutely beautiful again. Well, that is all I have for North Carolina, the history, attractions, all of that. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Again, if you're from North Carolina or have been 
let me know your favorite places to go in case there's a trip in my near future. So um, I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Make sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and make sure to follow and subscribe if you have not yet. I will see you on Monday for the next episode and I hope you have a great weekend. Bye everyone.